Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Thank you for braving the rain. Uh, very thankful that we can celebrate uh, the Lord's resurrection this morning uh, in a worship service, and also a special one as we are anticipating uh, some awards for our WANA uh, clubbers. And uh, very excited to have you as our guest here this morning if you've come for the special awards program and um, have uh, a opportunity for you, I think. How come this thing's not moving? Okay. Special welcome. We have connection cards, and uh, connection cards are a way for us to get to know you a little bit better, but we have a gift that we'd like to give you. Trade that in with us, and we'd love to give you this gift. It's at the welcome desk out in the foyer, and uh, fill one of those out. And uh, we uh, typically have a, a junior church program during our morning service, um, but this morning we don't. So actually, if you um, have children who need like something to keep them occupied um, and you didn't pick up a busy bag, we would love to give you one uh, to be a help to you as a parent. Um, if you want to put up your hand, we can have some of the deacons uh, get one for you. Does anyone need one? Or is everyone, maybe adults want one, right? I don't know. But uh, that's available for uh, kids K through uh, fourth, fourth four years old up to grade three. You can tell I don't do this part of the service that often. Uh, so uh, that's age four through grade three. All right. Uh, again, thank you for coming to be with us this morning. Uh, special service. And I want to open with uh, this scripture and a few comments about our service this morning. So we're going to sing in a little bit, but just want to welcome you with uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, which says... May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There is so much hope because he lives. Christ lives, and so we have every reasonable expectation that God's blessing will be upon his church as we anticipate the expansion of the gospel throughout Wayne County throughout uh, the state of Pennsylvania, throughout America, and throughout the world. And we have a privilege to be a part of that. So in this service, we're going to be giving thanks for an outreach program that God has allowed us to be a part of for the last uh, 40 years. And we're also giving thanks this morning for partnership with missions. Uh, We have a returning missionary, also a former pastor, with us in the service this morning, uh, Paul and Helen Williamson. Uh, Paul's going to say a few words a little bit later in the service. But God places opportunities before us, and they're there for the purpose of the expansion of God's church. And we don't always know how that will come about. Uh, Just to give you an example of opportunities that come our way that we might not expect, um, Last week, I had the opportunity to speak at a clergy panel here in town at the Wayne Memorial uh, Hospice Program for Volunteers, and that actually came about because we had collected mom's bags as gifts to take to the hospital, and Debbie Thompson and I took uh, two boxes of bags in as gifts to the maternity wing, and uh, while there, the lady who directs the program said, hey, would you like to participate in this? It's next week. So an opportunity came along to present um, 
to present truth, the word. In fact, uh, at this uh, clergy panel, I guess every year they have area pastors come in and speak about their different denominations and different viewpoints on uh, afterlife. And um, so that, that group, there was someone from the Episcopal Church, there was someone from the Jewish congregation, there was also someone from the Methodist Church, and then there was me. And so um, in the progression of description of our respective churches and traditions, I was able to speak. I was the last one to speak about our denomination. And so when I got the floor, I was able to say that our non-denominational church has roots that actually go all the way back to the Reformation, in which our church, along with many other churches, were very concerned about the importance of the Bible and the integrity of the Scriptures. And uh, as I explained, that as the Protestant churches left the Catholic Church at that time over the importance of the Scriptures, uh, that was a normal thing that a lot of churches like us practiced and considered as being important for about 300 years. And about the time of the U.S. uh, Civil War, uh, Charles Darwin came into play and started to give theories of interpretation to the world and how everything has come into about. And so some people began to put that into how they interpret the origin of Scripture and that the Bible actually had all kinds of errors in it. So our church actually came about after this began to become known in the seminaries. And so when we, um, as a church, uh, formed mid-1900s, There had been a movement of churches leaving denominations out of a concern for the integrity of the Word of God. Why am I sharing all this with you? Because we here at the Tabernacle still have a passion for the integrity of the Word of God. And it was out of that passion and desire for the Word of God that 40 years ago, the Tabernacle began the Iwana program under the ministry of John McAndrews. And uh, at that time, there were not many children's programs available to people. And uh, during that time, um, I think most people really had maybe scouts to do or 4-H. But if you look at the average calendar of a home today, there's probably about 12 different options that you could pick in any night of the week. And so we have recognized that there is a lot of competition, a lot of competition. And we have found that uh, those who desire to participate in Awana tend to be churched families. And it's our desire actually to minister to church families and also unchurched families as well, to bring them the word of God. And so our desire is to continue to outreach to our community. And as we seek to take the word of God to our community, we can give thanks for the foundation that God has laid in the Iwana program. And as we have missionaries go out uh, to unchurched areas here in America. And so the word of God is the means by which the Holy Spirit does his work. And we're thankful for that. And we are committed to that. Stay, remain faithful to that. That's our desire. 
And so we're going to quote together this morning 2 Timothy 2.15, which is the theme verse of Awana. Let's all stand together and say this together, and then I'm going to have Drew come and begin our service, our worship service. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. All right, thank you. Let's remain standard for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can celebrate 40 years of, of opportunity through the Iwana program, and also we can look forward to what you will do in days ahead, and we give you the praise, we give you the glory for anything that you deem worthy to do through us, and we ask this in your name. Amen. And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, that might be a little bit harder to find, but if you flip your Bible into the middle, you'll come to the Psalms, and then start thumbing left. And you'll eventually work your way back through the history books of the Bible, and you'll come to uh, the books of Chronicles, the books of Kings, and then you'll come to the Samuels, 1 and 2 Samuel. Thank you for praying for me this week. I am starting to feel a little bit better. So if I give a cough here and there, it's just trying to finalize itself. Um, But this uh, text in 2 Samuel chapter 22 is a somewhat longish poem written by David, King David, toward the end of his life, and we're not going to look at the whole poem, but just kind of the centerpiece of this text. And particularly, my theme this morning comes from verse 31, in which David says, this God, his way is perfect. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. This God, what God? What God is it that he's, or who he's talking about? Well, I think as you think about this question, we also have to ask ourselves, how do we get to know people in general? How do we, let alone get to know a God, how do we get to know somebody? Well, typically, we get to know a person by having a conversation with them. Maybe it's over coffee or tea, or you take them out to eat, and you, you just talk about and listen to how they reveal themselves to you. Um, but how do you get to know a person who's particularly famous? I mean, beyond the headlines of a newspaper. I mean, how would you get to know President Donald Trump? How would you get to know a king, or a queen. You can't just invite them out for coffee. They don't do that. You have to go through so many layers of screening, you'd never really ever, you might be lucky in your lifetime to be able to have an audience with a king or a queen or even the President of the United States. But it would definitely be on his terms, wouldn't it? And so, when we think about God and getting to know him, we have to ask this question, what would it be like? And the truth is, you can't get to know God unless he reveals himself to you. Well, how does he do that? He doesn't take you out for coffee. He doesn't take you out for tea. 
How does God reveal himself to you? Well, God reveals himself in two basic ways. He reveals himself through the things that he has created generally, but he also reveals himself very specifically through scriptures that talk about who he is. And I believe that you can look at the world, you can see the beauty that God has created, and even though people mess up this world, there is still a lot of beauty that you see. I mean, you look at the sun, and you see the sun rise, you see it set. Maybe every once in a while in northeast Pennsylvania, you might see the sun rise. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, there's so much spectacular beauty in the seasons and the sunsets. There's potential that you might be able to infer from that that God likes beauty, God who created this world. Well, God does reveal himself, but there might be a potential problem as you look at the sun. You might assume that God created the world, or you might come to the mistaken conclusion that God is the sun. As many cultures throughout history have. They have looked at this created world and decided, oh, this beauty is actually a god. And this is the problem of trying to get to know God, is that unless he purposely reveals himself to us, we can potentially be mistaken about who he is. And particularly, how does he do that through the scriptures? Well, as he does through through the scriptures... We read like what we just heard from King David, or we might learn about him through indirect means even in the scriptures. So God has redeemed a people called the nation of Israel, brought them out of Egypt. We learn something indirectly about God by the stories that we read of his dealings with people in the scriptures. But the most beautiful expressions of who God is is come directly from people who have experienced God firsthand in the scriptures. And so as you look at passages like this one, where King David has lived a life of hardship, knowing that there's promises that one day he will become king, he in his lifetime observed God being faithful and leading him through toils and snares and bringing him safely home to the kingship. In some ways, this text, David's looking back and saying, "'Tis grace that hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Now, you know, some of you, that that was John Newton and not David. But the reality is that the truth of God's care and keeping of his promises is very real to David just as it has been very real to many people who have come to know God through the scriptures for themselves. So, in this text, very simply, I want to talk about this great God that we have, and particularly highlighting what David says about this God, that his way is perfect, and I believe, in summary, he's saying that it's because he is perfect. God, and all his way is perfect because he is perfect. So let's read some of these verses around verse 31 just to see the context of what uh, David is identifying as being 
so perfect about God. Let's pick up in verse uh, 26. Verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, with the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God listens, uh, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure upon the heights. So, in these few verses, David is showing us his perfect God and showing us that he could be yours as well. He wants us to know that God is perfect because he is consistent in his approach with all. Did you notice in the early parts that he was describing virtues about God? He was describing him as merciful and being morally blameless and uh, advocating for purity. And he, he, these are all actual traits about God. Now, he uses one word, merciful, here in verse 30, uh, verse 26, very, very interestingly. That word merciful is really a, it's a technical word that describes a commitment to another person. It is used in the Bible to describe a binding agreement with another person in marriage and your commitment to continue to be merciful to that person even if they are not what they should be. Like requires a commitment, a consideration of other people that they may not be who they should be, and that act is a demonstration of mercy. You know, it sounds like maybe that God waits to see if you will be a merciful person and then decides whether or not he's going to commit to you. I mean, that's a very surface first blush impression of what that verse might mean. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says something very similar to this. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here in verse 26, he also says, with the blameless, you show yourself blameless. Does this mean that God is unconditional in his love, but yet having conditions? Well, the answer to this riddle is actually found in verse 27. He says, with a purified, you deal purely. Purified. You look at that word, it means something passively, something that's been done to you. You've become, you don't purify yourself per se, but you've been purified by God. And the reality is, is that God, those whom God purifies will be revealed to be pure. And you take that idea back to the merciful. You see a merciful person in your life, someone who is actually very merciful. It's because they've learned mercy from God. You see a blameless person, 
you've seen a person who has been declared holy by God. You see a pure person, they've been purified by God. In other words, God freely and unconditionally commits himself to whomever he wills. And the reality is, is we're all sinners and he treats us all the same. We all fall short of the glory of God. And God's action is always the same. He is completely gracious. And God will give mercy to whom he will give mercy and he will express compassion upon whom he will show compassion. The reality is, we don't know how that occurs. But we see it. We see like the wind in the trees. We see the wind in the grass. We don't see the wind, but we actually see the effects of it. Just as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You see a merciful person, you come to understand that they have, they have had mercy given to them by God. How else can you explain a drunken slave trader who turns from sin like John Newton? This radical purification that takes place in his life is a result because he has been purified by God. How else do you explain, though, on the other hand, a rebellious follower of Christ who avoids the fellowship of the church of the living God? By their fruit, you shall know them. There's a hymn that we sing from time to time which goes like this. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But what we can know, we might not be able to understand all of that, but what we can know is that God is gracious to the humble, and He is opposed to the proud. God is consistent in His approach with all people. Um, in verse 26, we read those words specifically that God is gracious. Um, not verse 26, my apology. It's in verse um, yes, verse 26 and 27, the idea of graciousness. With the purified, you deal pure, purely, but with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. There's an opposition to those who in themselves have pride. Verse 28, but your eyes are upon the haughty to bring them down, but yet you save a humble person. Verse 28, God is gracious to the humble. Was not God gracious to David when he turned from his sin? You know, David wasn't a perfect man at all. He had sin, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and yet God was gracious to him because in his heart, he humbled himself. David was exposed. His sin was made plain in his eyes, and he didn't try to hide it and cover it. He said, I, I did sin. And so God was very gracious to him. On the other hand, God is opposed to the proud. David's own son, he, he had seen this bear out in his own family. David's own son, Absalom, was proud and for a while was trying to overthrow David's kingship. And it seemed like Absalom was on a roll and he was moving up the ladder in public opinion. He gathered a group of people around him and everything, everything seemed to be going his way from a man's point of view, but then, then God humbled him. God was opposed to him. 
God created a brick wall. Absalom had a thick mane of hair, and he was very proud of his hair. And he rode his donkey in pursuit of David, and his hair got caught up in a tree. The donkey kept going. And Absalom just hung there. And he had to hang there until one of David's generals came and found him, and then he slew him for his rebellion. The reality is that God treats all of, his, all of this world the same in the sense that he gives grace to the humble and he's opposed to the proud. David has seen this. But God's intention is that we would see what David saw. That we would humble ourselves and become one of his children. He's encouraging us that God is consistent in his approach with all people, but he's also consistent in his promises to his own people. Verse 29 to 34, very quickly here, I'm just going to summarize five of these traits that David sees and how that God keeps his promises to his own people. Verse 29, we read this, uh, For you are my lamp, O God, and my God lightens my darkness. David is saying is that because I know God, I see him for who he is, and God gives me hope. God gives me hope. And we live in a dark world. In fact, darkness can be so thick at times that we internally look at the world in non-color. So particularly those who suffer with depression. You can have a sense within your soul that the world is in monochrome. You know, David experienced great grief, but he saw God deliver him through time. He was able to say in another place that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And if you can say that the Lord God who made heaven and earth and resurrected Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then there is really in the end no darkness that is so dark that his light cannot penetrate. God is the one who can give real hope. Verse 30, he gives another characteristic of this great God, this perfect God, and that he is, he gives courage. Verse 30, he says, by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. The reality is we do live in a dark world. A dark world in which we, though, don't need to be afraid. George Whitfield, a pastor who was a part of uh, the Great Awakening here in America, he, uh, he said this in one of his sermons. He said, we are immortal until our work for God on earth is done. That's encouraging, if you think about it correctly. There's nothing that can enter your life that God has not foreordained for the purpose of carrying out his work with you. God cares for you. And that can give us courage. We don't have to fear what's around the corner. You know, this verse has been a comfort to many who have been in the military. Many who have served in very dangerous places. Many have seen God jam the chamber of guns that were pointed directly at them and seen God care for them in this respect. 
We live in a world that is dark, but we don't need to be afraid. Verse 31, God gives, there's another trait here of our great God. God gives us certainty in verse 31. Again, God's word proves true. It proves true. Uh, God's word is certain, in other words. And these words are kind of like a word picture. The words almost give us an idea that we can imagine. They're used often in the context of, of smelting and refining. You take rocks and minerals and you put them through the heat. What comes out of the heat is the reality of what's inside. So in other words, when God makes a promise, that gold is going to come out gradually. There's a certainty of it coming to pass. It always proves true. God views the future as infinitely greater than our ability to view the future. And so when God makes a statement that he's for us, he will not break that promise. It's certain it will come through. God gives refuge. Verse 33. Verse 33. Verse 33, this God is my strong refuge and his, has made my way blameless. We again, we live in a dark world, but God is a sure refuge. He's a strong refuge. You know, we can build all kinds of structures of security in our life. We can pad our portfolios. I suppose that those who were living back in the 1920s and didn't anticipate what would, bring, would come to pass in 1929 when the stock market crashed and at the height of the depth of the, the, the losses, nearly 90% of the wealth that was in the stock market was gone. Now, I think we went through an economic hard time in the last several years. And we can pad and try to make plans to protect ourselves, but the reality is nothing can protect ourselves like God can protect us. God gives a strong refuge. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. That is our great God. He provides for the sparrow. He can certainly provide for us. He is a strong refuge. And the last characteristic here that David gives us in verse 34 is that God can give us stability. Verse 34, I like this picture. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. You ever seen deer out west and they're just sitting on the perched on the edge of something that looks, maybe you've driven on the edge of something and you felt very insecure looking down. I remember a few years ago our family uh, went to a hockey game in uh, New Jersey, and we were in the nosebleeds. And we, I didn't anticipate how steep the, the perspective would be up there, and I couldn't stand for this national anthem. I was so scared. But that can happen. In the reality, the reality is, is that many of the experiences that we face can give us a perspective in which we feel very insecure and unstable. God calls a lot of us to places and positions where we feel very insecure and unstable. We might be called, for example, to the responsibility of being a mother and a father and feel very unstable in that place that we've been put. We might be a freshman in high school and thinking to ourselves, I can't possibly get through this. 
Someone might find themselves as a new husband or a new wife, and maybe they're a new elder or a new deacon. And they think, I can't possibly do this. The reality is God will give you the stability to carry out what he has called you to do. I'm sure David, going from shepherd to king, felt very unstable at points. But God is faithful. God is able because he's consistent in his approach with people. He's consistent in his promises to his people. See, God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. As we come here to the end of this Awana year, we give thanks for what God has accomplished and allowed us to do with Awana over the past 40 years. We look forward to the future, not knowing all that God will do. But this we know, that this God, His way is perfect. He is totally trustworthy. And so this morning, as we contemplate this reality of a great God and a gracious God, I also want to invite you, if you don't know this God as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to come to him, to put your faith and trust in him. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. That's an invitation to everyone who thirsts. Does anyone get thirsty in this room? Does anyone get hungry? The reality is that we crave for things in this world, and they will not satisfy us, but God alone can bring us the satisfaction that we need. Because this God, his way is perfect. And so I invite you to drink of the water that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Stop trying to chase after gods that will not satisfy. Come to the fountain and drink from Jesus Christ by faith. And if in your heart you have a desire for Christ, to trust him as your savior, don't say no. Embrace him. The gospel invites you to recognize that you are a sinner. Humble yourself. You will find that God is gracious. The reality is we're more sinful than we could ever imagine. But the flip side is that God is more infinitely gracious than we could ever imagine. And so this morning, as we finish this segment of our service, don't let this stop continue to ponder, I would be happy to speak with you after the service, after the meal, or wherever, and show you this great God and how you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. His way is perfect because he is perfect. Let's pray.